Hello, and welcome to the Married Christian Sex Podcast, a ministry of MarriedChristianSex.com, which is written by El Fury and Sexy Corte. Today's episode is going to address many questions we receive, mainly from wives, about how to be more sexually free and open with their husbands. If this marriage ministry is beneficial to you, please share it with one of your friends and leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you find podcasts. Okay, so we get these questions from husbands and wives, but usually they they tend to be targeted more at the wife's sexual openness and maybe um, feeling of sexual freedom within the marriage. And a lot of times these questions will come from people who have been married for a, for a little while. A lot of times they're people who have grown up in church, people who have maybe been raised with a... Uh, a, a closed view towards mar- uh, towards sex outside of marriage, but then they carry that into their marriage, and it's something that can even, uh, you know, ultimately uh, hinder the openness and full enjoyment of the sexual relationship within marriage. And so we get questions about maybe how to overcome this type of psychological barrier, how to be more open, how to be how to have a feeling of more freedom sexually within your marriage. And so a lot of these questions come to Sexy Corte, and she has pulled together a selection of Bible verses that we thought we could go through uh, and discuss together. And we'll just share some of our ideas and some of our experiences in our marriage and how we, you know, how, how we've, I guess, gotten to the place where we can write the type of stuff that we do on our blog and live it out in our marriage as well. It does seem that there is a tendency in raising your kids on on having a focus of what not to do and and in in Christian circles too like there's there's often a focus on what you should refrain from doing and you know self-control is certainly an admirable quality but i think that uh, god gives us a lot of choices and a lot of freedom and a lot of freedom in christ and particularly in in marriage the bible does have a lot to say about sex there are certainly a lot of verses that talk about you know, refraining from sexual immorality. And we will talk about that a little bit towards the end of the, our podcast. But there are a lot of verses that really give a, a beautiful picture of what sexual intimacy can look like um, as how God God intended it to be. Um, so I we have three verses that we're going to to discuss. I'll read them and then we will discuss them. The first one is from Genesis 2.24. And it says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. This, of course, is right after God creates Adam and then uh, gives Eve to him as his wife. And, you know, one thing I think is so beautiful about this verse is, um, you know, what could be more intimate than two people uniting together to become one flesh? And the focus is really on intimacy. It's not about the utility of of what marriage can be. I think some people take the view of, well, having sex is for procreation and for the creation of babies, but that that's not really pictured in this verse. You know, it becoming one flesh, it's it's an intimacy that's to be shared for Adam and Eve to take delight in each other and and their union. 
And I think it's significant that the focus here is on the flesh, on becoming one flesh. It's not that a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one spirit or one soul or one mind um, or one heart or emotions. The, the focus is on the flesh. And it's clear, you know, obviously that the focus here is on sexual intimacy, physical oneness in, in the flesh at the basest level. It's interesting, too, later on in Ephesians 5, Christ refers to this verse, and he calls it a great mystery. And, and he does clarify, like, he means Christ and the church, but he's he's also talking about this union between man and wife and how it is a great mystery. And intimacy certainly is a, a mystery. I mean, we we often talk about just the, I, I don't know, how how mysterious it is to think about what each other experiences while we're having sex just well and the physical experience of maleness and femaleness are really some of the few human experiences that you will not be able to completely share with your spouse the mental and emotional experiences are are very common across humanity and across common across men and women but the physical fleshly experiences of what it is to be a man what does it feel like what does a man what does it feel like to have a man's body what does it feel like to have a woman's body are are a, a very small set of experiences that that no one person can ever can ever have and so being able to share that intimacy and be able to sh- in a way share those physical experiences by being one flesh through sexual union um, and being able to share those together is a real, you know, in a real way, it sort of completes the the physical, fleshly meaning of what it is to be human. That's the only way to really experience the the full experience of humanity. I think is through that um, that of of the of the physical part of humanity is through that you know through that sexual intimacy. Yeah, and, and I often just marvel at how your body can experience something so intense and, and I don't know, it just stems from even such a small part of your body. And it I our bodies are mysterious as well. I I always love how it doesn't matter how long we can be married and we can just dis- still discover something new that we like to do. We can still discover a different way to be touched and I think that God gave us a profound mystery just in in our own bodies and in each other's bodies that he meant for us to explore. I think sometimes to Christians, there's a tendency within the church in some ways to, to minimize the importance of the body or to view the flesh as sinful or not not spiritual, not important, not significant like the the soul and the spirit are for example right a lot of times in christianity we can you, you can have a tendency to take a very spiritual view of life or a very emotional view of life or a very high-minded view of life where the flesh is sort of seen as a necessary evil or sort of you know some sort of vestigial organ, like your appendix, where it's like, well, we're not going to, we kind of need this body around for now, but it's just sort of hanging around. This isn't really important. But I think that that's a mistake. And I think that that, that type of teaching um, and that type of belief 
that the body is not important, you don't find that in the Bible at all. In fact, um, even from this, you know, very early verse in Genesis where we, you know, where it talks about the husband and wife becoming one flesh, uh, but you also see it, of course, all the way through the sacrifice of Christ where his body was broken and bruised and killed in order to pay for the sin of mankind. And then we see it in the resurrection. Jesus wasn't resurrected as a spirit. Jesus wasn't resurrected as a disembodied soul. He was resurrected with a body. And we're promised in 1 Thessalonians that at the resurrection, our it will be a bodily resurrection. Uh, and we will, we will have bodies like Christ. It will not just be a spiritual or soul resurrection or a disembodied resurrection. So the body, the flesh, is a, is a, is a critical element of um, Christian eschatology, Christian belief, the payment for sins, the creation of mankind. Like all, all the way through the Bible, you see the importance of the flesh. And you see the importance of redeeming the flesh and perfecting the flesh. And it's true that our bodies, just like our souls and spirits, are sinful, but they will be redeemed and they will be perfected. And and the body is not something to be set aside or minimized. It's something that's critical. And that, you know, that that comes into play in marriage too. Yeah, we tend to lose sight of the fact that after after each act of creation, God declared it good. And I, I certainly think that he thought the union between um, husband and wife was good, and the becoming of one flesh was good. So some some of the questions that people ask here are around, um, you know, feeling feeling a a sense of, of embarrassment or a sense of restraint or not feeling like um, not feeling like they can fully commit their bodies or open their bodies or be vulnerable physically uh, with their bodies. How do you, you know, when we, so we see this, this picture of, of becoming one flesh and the intimacy there, how do you think, what, what can that do to help inspire somebody who's maybe feeling like they're holding something back or feeling like they're, they're just having trouble really going all in? Hmm, that's, that's a good question. The, um, I think one of the most beautiful things about marriage is just the, level of commitment that you have with your spouse really uh, really opens you up to being able to be totally ex- accepted by someone. You have someone that you can, you know, weave your life together that you can you can just be open and you can share your share the truth with each other. You can um, you can act in a way that that they're going to accept you and not judge you and certainly I think sexually, like it, it can be embarrassing, and I still feel silly when we try something new or, or do something new. But ultimately, I know that you love me, and you're not you're committed to me. And so, if there's anywhere that you can can be open with your body, this is the place to do it. And I think that the returns on opening yourself up to that level of vulnerability are are great because it deepens your relationship. It deepens your shared experience with each other. And I think this idea of recognizing that in marriage, you become one flesh. I think if you can really internalize that and, you know, not just read it at a surface level, but really, really meditate on it and come to understand it and come to appreciate it, 
it can help you lower the boundaries that you feel between you and your spouse physically. I mean, all of us look in the mirror and wish we looked different, for example, (laughs) in some way or another, but we don't hide our bodies from ourselves in the mirror. We don't, you know, cover ourselves up. We may not always like what we see, but but we're open and direct with ourselves. We, you know, we, we're not ashamed of seeing ourselves naked, for example, right? And, you know, that, that maybe is just sort of the starting point of physical intimacy, obviously, is being naked is kind of the starting point. But um, when you see that it's, that your spouse's body is your flesh and your flesh, your body is one flesh with your spouse, you can start to see how how uh, how how withholding or nervousness or closeness or restraint are are almost kind of pointless. They are pointless, but I think they're a natural part of the human experience. And you know, I I think that does heighten the excitement, though, when you're I don't know when we're trying something new and and. I don't know, especially in role-playing scenarios. I, I, I definitely feel nervous, but I, I know you're thrilled, and I, I know that it's, it's exciting for both of us. And yeah. Well, what what element of it makes you feel nervous? Can you articulate more about it? I think I get nervous that I'm going to look silly or come across as foolish mostly. And for me, when I feel nervous, it's because I would be afraid that something that I would want to do would would come across as silly or undesirable or like dumb, something like that, I guess. For me, it's more about feeling like my ideas or requests would be rejected, which not not that you do that, but that's where it's harder for me to be vulnerable, not so much on like the body part. Hmm. Do you want to go to the next verse that you've got here? Yeah. So the next verse that I have is from Proverbs 5, 15 through 19. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. So one thing that really stands out to me in this passage is just the the imagery that is of abundance. You know, it talks about running water, the springs overflowing, the fountain, and all of that is is abundance. And I think sometimes when people grow up in these environments where sex is often talked about in a negative way you you come out of that with like this feeling of guilt and that you need to suppress your sexual desire or um just even minimize what you do in the in the sexual act itself and i think that you know from what this verse shows that sexual desire is is natural and it it should be overflowing and and abundant and and I think it's it can be edifying to God when you're when you're having that sexual like yeah when when you have that healthy view of exploration and freedom 
inside your marriage towards sex. I love that imagery of sexual abundance. And you can, you know, you can look at your own marriage and ask, well, is our is our sex life, is it a spring that's overflowing? Or is it a a drip, <laughs> you know, dripping down the drain. And you can ask yourself, am I, am I a fountain, an abundant fountain that is overflowing sexually for my spouse? Or am I, am I a dripping faucet? Or am I, you know, what, what, what are you bringing to the marriage? Are you bringing an overflowing fountain of sexuality to your spouse? Or are, are you not because of, you know, maybe you have the faucet turned down or maybe you don't know how to turn it up. I don't know. But I love this target of abundance. I love the word, the concept, the idea there of an abundant sexual life. Yeah, I really like the the comparison between a scarcity mentality and a, an abundance mentality where I think in a scarcity mentality, when you look at that in, in your sex life is, okay, well, what's the minimum that I can do to just get by where um, an abundance mentality is how can we make this the best that it can be? And I think that if you're really seeking to do that for your your spouse and and even especially if you're the wife, I think figuring out a way that you can enjoy sex so that you can have an ab- abundance mentality, it, it does seem that the scarcity, drip often falls more where the wives are wanting less sex than the husbands are. Well, and we've talked about this and written about this quite a bit. There are many wives who write to us and and sometimes husbands also who write saying that the wife is, you know, has never had an orgasm, doesn't doesn't know how to have an orgasm, can't have an orgasm or or whatever, right? And so it it's not and so we've written a lot about this. There are many posts on our blog about it. Um, but, you know, it's it's hard, naturally hard for a, a wife or for anyone to have an abundant sexual mentality if they're feeling like they're not having their sexual needs met or that they can't have, like that they're not able to or, or, or what have you. And so, you know, one of the, one of the best things that you can do to help your spouse, um, overflow sexually is to make sure that they're being sexually satisfied. Right. There's a night and day difference when you're sexually aroused and and when you're not. And so if you are if you're yeah, if you're having orgasms and you're you're feeling that sexual arousal, the it's easy to have an abundance mentality. But if you're you know, just kind of <laughs> getting by viewing it as a chore, that that's not going to lead to an abundance mindset. And for the husbands who write to us about how to help their wives be more sexually open or expressive, I mean, the number one thing I would say is to help your wife have as many orgasms as she wants. And that might be different for different women, of course. It'll be different at different times of the month in different stages of life. But um, a, a wife who is having as many orgasms as she wants is going to be much more sexually open and sexually adventurous than a wife who is frustrated and um, not feeling satisfied. Definitely. Um, what do you think about the idea of, of having an abundance of, or I don't know, just an intimate sexual 
experience with your spouse being edifying to God? Well, I, I think there's no doubt that God created marriage for sexual intimacy. And I think, and we, I mean, we even see that picture in Ephesians 5, which you mentioned earlier, that, you know, Christ and the church is an abundant relationship, right, in every way. And it's not a sexual relationship, you know, obviously, but but it's a loving relationship and it's a it's an abundant, overflowing relationship. The blessings and joy and promises and power that Christ bestows on the church uh, have no have no end, have no limit. And I think every element of a marriage can be modeled on that type of relationship. And so the, you know, I think when we bless our spouse with sexual abundance, I think it pleases God. I think it strengthens the marriage. It strengthens the family, which is a blessing to children, which is a blessing to the other families that you interact with. You know, a strong a strong marriage and a strong family are the cornerstone and the foundation of all of civilization. So, I mean, you can get really grandiose here, right? But when you invest in your sexual relationship with your spouse, the that's what it means, this overflowing fountain, right? The blessings of that overflow into every area of your family, into every relationship that your family has, into your church, into your city and your nation. Like it sounds, yeah, it sounds grandiose, right? But but that sexual abundance can be the cornerstone of great blessing to all the people around you. And I think that does honor God. One more thing I wanted to point out in this Proverbs passage is that, you know, it's it's explicitly talking about sexuality and physical pleasure. In Proverbs 5.19, it says, it calls the wife a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. And I love that image of being intoxicated with the wife's love, of just being drunken with, with, with the love that you know the husband feels from the wife, physically, emotionally, and I love, of course, I mean, it's, you know, it's very clear. It's physical, right? It's talking about her breasts being arousing and satisfying to you that you're not, you know, the husband's not off, like it says, in the streets looking for other streams of water. He's intoxicated with his wife and her breasts satisfy him. Yeah. And intoxication is not like a mediocre state, right? You have a focus. And yeah, I, I like that too. It's, taking delight in each other and taking light delight in the gift that God has given you with each other. All right. Do you want to go to the next verse? Definitely. So we have one more to go through and it's from the song of songs, chapter seven, verse six through 12. Actually, Elfiri, why don't you read the first passage? Because it's from, from the perspective of the man. And then I'll read the second one. How beautiful you are and how pleasing, my love, with your delights. Your stature is like that of the palm and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like clusters of grapes on the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. May the wine go straight to my beloved, flowing gently over lips and teeth, I belong to my beloved, and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. 
Let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded. If their blossoms have opened and if the pomegranates are in bloom, there I will give you my love. The Song of Songs is great. So in this passage in particular, I really liked the idea of the husband pursuing the wife. And I have to say, yeah, it's very exciting when I feel like you're pursuing me. And that does create arousal. And and just the him climbing this tree to take hold of the fruit, there's an idea of, of really pursuing what he wants in that. And so are you suggesting here that for for a wife who maybe is feeling not as open or adventurous or whatever that being pursued by her husband would be would be a way for him to to help open her up yeah you know and and maybe it it looks back to the proverbs verse where it if you're pursuing me there's an idea that it's like you're intoxicated by me and and your attention is is on me it seems like sometimes though that it seems like a person who is not feeling very sexually open might get annoyed with being pursued uh, constantly rather than aroused by it. Uh, so how much of that is on on her or on the husband or the wife? Like how do you what's what does that interaction look like to you? Well, I think you can can tell when your advances are not being being accepted and maybe try again another time. Uh, certainly we really notice this with my cycle where, you know, in the course of a month, I will from one week when I'm close to that ovulation time, just be very amorous, very receptive, very um, eager to engage sexually. And a week later, when I hit the down part of my cycle, I just, it, it turns off for a couple of days. And it's, it's really nothing that I can do about it. I would choose to not have that happen if I could, but um, you know, in a, a couple of days, it, it bounces back. So I think knowing knowing yourself and your natural rhythms like that can be really helpful. And if you pay attention to your spouse, you will pick up on those things. And so I I don't know when I when I'm receptive, I it's greatly exciting when you're pursuing me. Um, and so I, I think it takes a little discernment and and some open and honest communication between the spouse and whoever's pursuing. And I think you can gently say, hey, let's try this in a couple of days if it's not being received well. So what, what do you think about a, a husband and wife who, you know, they have an okay sex life, it's not like they they are estranged from each other or anything like that, right? And this is kind of the mindset we write with a lot on our blog. People who have a good or okay sex life, but they want to make it great. So how would you how would you approach a couple who, you know, maybe one spouse is feeling like, I want to take this to the next level. I want to I want I want this to be abundant and overflowing. And the other spouse is just like, it's okay, like, it's okay, it's not great, but it's fine. You know, don't, don't pester me. Your relationship with God is, is of utmost importance. And aside from that, you have your relationship with your spouse and your relationship with your children. And I, I think those are the, 
highest goals you can have in life is to make those great. And part of making a great marriage is to, to, I don't know, your sex life is a barometer for how great your marriage is. And, and it can go in cycles where it's, it's not as great. And then, but you should, you should always be working to improve it and working to fulfill that and, and seeing an upwards trend in that. Yeah, and I think a lot of it does come down to to what you're willing to, what target you're willing to aim at, right? I think a lot of times people aim low because they're afraid of missing. They're afraid of falling short of a hard, higher target. And I think sometimes that can happen in marriages too. And sometimes people just feel like, well, I'm okay with it being okay, because maybe they've, they've tried before and fallen short, and it was a lot of work or it was a lot of heartache, and they just felt like it's easier just to sort of aim low and hit the easy target and be done. But I think that, you know, if you really want to move to a, from a good to a great sex life... You have, to, you have to admit that to yourself. You have to admit, I want to take this to the next level. I want it to be great. I want it to be abundant. And that means that I'm, that, that not my spouse, but I'm going to have to change my perspective and my view and my approach to our sex life. And, you know, maybe your spouse will need to change things as well, but you can't make your spouse change, right? You can only change yourself. And you can talk with your spouse and you can tell your spouse, Hey, I want to I want to go from good to great. Um, but but both partners are going to have to want that, and they're going to have to be willing to admit it, and then they're going to have to be willing to work for it. Yeah, I, I think too that sometimes people can be held back by by fear, fear of really voicing what you want. Um, I also think sometimes it's easy to assume the worst, and and I think that if you assume that the person that you're committed to wants the best for you, it really changes your perspective. I, I remember years ago, you and I were having an argument. I can't even remember what the argument was about. But I I think that I took some words that you had said and, and misconstrued them in a way that was more negative than what you had intended to be. And what I remember from that argument, though, was you saying, I, I love you. I want what's best for you. And that really just hitting me like, yeah, of, of course you do. Like I, but hearing you say it out loud, it really impacted me. And so trying to be in relationship with another person and just having the grace to assume that they're, they're doing the best that they can for you and, and your relationship. Ultimately you, you know, you're, you've committed your life to this person and and so why not why not do everything you can to make make that the best that it can possibly be and i think that requires you know making it the best it can be requires a level of honesty and vulnerability that can be uncomfortable at first uh, you you risk you know you risk rejection of a sort you risk rejection from the person who you're most dependent on and who is closest to you, who's most intimate with you. And risking that rejection can be can be really difficult, whether it's, you know, small or, or big or, or whatever it is that you're that you're bringing to the table that you're asking for that you're requesting and saying, Look, I want to take our sex life to the next level. I want it to be great. 
And you're risking rejection of them saying, oh, you know, I don't really care or whatever, right? But if you don't have that conversation, if you don't take the risk, then nothing's gonna nothing's gonna change. Nothing's gonna get nothing's gonna get better if neither one of you are trying for it. It doesn't just happen on its own. It's something that takes effort and it's something that takes investment and time. I mean, you know, even going back to the example of Christ in the church, look what it cost for Christ to make a relationship with the church. He he ended up having to die on the cross in order to make that relationship. It didn't it wasn't something that just you know, happened. It was something that he pursued and he sacrificed for. And, and, and then it was, then it became possible. Right. And, and you may not have to, you may not have to die for your sex life, but you may have to make some sacrifices. You may have to put yourself out there and risk some, um, some rejection. You might have to risk, you might have to put in some work. You might have to risk hearing things that are unpleasant in order to deal with them and move forward, you know, honestly, and and with vulnerability and openness to to make things awesome. Well, and you you, it's not you might have to work at it. You do have to work at it. I think it's it's you have to tend to it and you have to invest in it on a daily basis, right? Um, well, and in song of, in song of songs, it talks about how um, it talks about the 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 woman, the marriage as a garden, right? It's attended. Your love life is a tended, cultivated garden. It's not just a wild jungle or or a just a wild space, right? It's a tended, cultivated garden, and you have to tend to it. Uh, the other, the other idea that I wanted to touch on from this passage is the idea of exploration and the in the part where the beloved is, or sorry, the the woman is talking, you know, just looking at the different places, she's like, let's go to the countryside, let's go to the vineyards. Um, I think there's really an idea of exploration in in that part. And I think you can look at your sex life that way as well, that are, are you exploring? Are you, are you exploring what you can do together? Are you exploring your own body and your spouse's body? And I think that that can bring intimacy too. From from the emails that we get, I would say that it seems like, on average, the husbands are looking for more novelty and variety than than the wives are. I would say that the wives who write to us frustrated are looking are want more orgasms than they're able to have. You know, but I I think some of the wives that I hear from they want some novelty, but they feel like they. They feel like, well, they, I think they fear rejection, but they also feel like they might come across as silly or awkward or like, where is this coming from, from the husband's angle? Yeah, that's true. And I think that that's true from either spouse's perspective. If you have been harboring a secret fantasy that you're, you know, after 10 years of marriage, you're finally going to, you know, speak it out loud to your spouse, they might feel like, where is this coming from, right? Or you might feel like they're going to wonder you know why I'm bringing this up. Well, you're bringing it up cuz you've been thinking about it since puberty. <laughs> and you know, now you're 40 years old and maybe you could finally bring it, get get up the courage to bring it up with your spouse. You know, if I I think that if you can approach things like that as a a partnership, it might not feel like it's coming out of nowhere. For example, like, hey, I want to make our sex life great. Like, how can we do this together? Here's some ideas I have. What do you think? 
Yep, I think that's great. And I think that, you know, putting your ideas out there, and look, not every idea is going to be accepted, you know, maybe right away. Maybe it's something that, like Sexy Corte said, it's something like, well, maybe we can try that sometime. Let me think about it a little bit or whatever, right? Um, or, or maybe it's something that, um, maybe it's something that your spouse has never even thought of and they need to, to ponder it a little bit and see if it's something that they want to do or, or how they would approach it. So last thing, uh, we touched on these three verses, which I think are great, like positive aspects of how God wants you to have um, your your intimacy with your spouse. Um, there are lots of verses that talk about sexual immorality. So I really quickly wanted to touch on that. Um, most of the verses say something to the extent of refrain from sexual immorality. So um, Elfiri, can you... Tell us what would be defined as sexual immorality. Yeah, and we have a, and we, we get a lot of emails about this. We have a post on the website. I think it's called Can We Blank? But there aren't, you know, within, I think the overarching method, message is within the mar- within the context of a marriage and a husband and wife, there's very little that's that's off limits. And I think in the blog post, we talk about, you know, that, that whatever is uh, anything is 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 within bounds within a marriage as long as it is done in faith it only involves the husband and the wife it's something that leads to mutual pleasure mutual joy mutual satisfaction uh, and that you know that that means that it's part of a mutually satisfying sex life overall uh, and then you know it's something that's consensual, obviously something that is that is done, um, you know, with with the buy-in from the husband and the wife. But other than other than those few guardrails, I would say that uh, anything anything goes. Yeah, I think that if if it's something that one person feels guilty on and feels like they would be sinning to to wait on that and if they have a, a change of heart, because you, you don't want to lead your spouse into sin or something that they would perceive to be sin. But, you know, think usually things like that would take some communication before you before you engage in them. Yeah, you don't want to lead or push your spouse into doing something that they would consider sinful. And I think that, you know, where where their conscience leads them is where the Holy Spirit is is speaking to them. And so the guidelines that, that I just mentioned are really what we find in the Bible, right? The Bible doesn't say much about what sexual positions you can use or can you use a toy or can you do this or that or thing or whatever, right? Like the Bible doesn't really get into those details, but the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and discernment and guidance and and you can follow the leading of the Spirit. And you can also pray that your your horizons would be expanded and that the Spirit would lead you to new sexual opportunities in your marriage that maybe you weren't open to or weren't thinking about before. Yeah, I think the more that you become mature in your relationship with Christ, the more things kind of open open up to you. Because there are certainly, I mean, God is very black and white on a lot of things, but there are a lot of other areas that are, are a little more more gray that you might just need some time to pray over. So I, I think that kind of wraps up what we were talking about. Um takeaways from this, I, you know, God created sex as a gift to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife. And 
you know, there's a lot of freedom in marriage to explore, to enjoy, to really delight in the relationship that you have. And, and, you know, don't, don't take each other for granted and really try to make the most of, of your time and, and, try to enjoy sex, figure out a way to enjoy sex with each other, because it really does kind of bleed out into other areas of your life. And, you know, when you, when you have that bond with your, your spouse, it just has, I feel like it makes our family feel that much more secure and joyful. And I would just say that approach it, I would just suggest to approach your sex life with the mindset of how can I give my spouse the most abundant sex life that's possible. We hope this episode is a blessing to your marriage. Please leave us a five-star review and join us at MarriedChristianSex.com to ask a question or to share your ideas. Cunning Gnome under the Creative Commons license.